Hello and welcome to CBO Speaks. I'm your host, Donna Sheely. Glad to have you with us today. Today, we are talking with Christopher Lee. Christopher is the Vice President for Administration and Finance at Grandview University in Iowa. Hi, Christopher, and welcome. Good afternoon. How are you? Thanks for having me here. Yeah, so glad to talk with you. So let's get right into it, Christopher. So how long have you been at Grandview? I came to Grandview two and a half years ago in January of 2020 on a cold winter's day, uh, almost just in time for the onset of COVID. Yeah, who knew what was right around the corner from that? Well, how did that go for you? Well, it certainly changed the plans of what I thought I would be doing my first year or two. Um, and actually, our little school was a phenomenal place to be in terms of sane responses and working really hard to protect our students and our campus environment and providing as much normality as we could through all of that chaos. Wow. Yeah, I know it was a lot. Well, we're going to get back to that, but I want to talk about your journey. So let's talk about where you were prior to Grandview and what led you there. So I started my career in banking um, in the international division of Bank One prior to Chase and spent about seven years there in a financial role, moved to the Fossil Watch Company for about three years, also in a financial and budget officer role. And then a mentor recruited me into higher ed, knew that I was interested in obtaining my MBA, and I was recruited to the Thunderbird School of Global Management when it was still an independent entity in Arizona. It's now part of Arizona State University. And so I went out to a small, very unique international MBA program and started my journey in higher ed at a very niche institution with a very unique history um, and a global profile. Spent about seven years on that campus in Arizona and then um, had a very unique challenge in being asked to go run Thunderbirds operations in Moscow, Russia for four years. Oh, wow. Wow. And so mm-hmm. took what was then my uh, wife and two kids from our suburban Phoenix life, and we transplanted to Russia and ran a uh, essentially an executive education training and development business for four years. Um, after that, was looking to get back to the U.S. in a more traditional role and uh, was warmly welcomed at Lawrence University as their vice president for finance and administration. Spent six very happy years at Lawrence under the tutelage of President Mark Burstein and uh, was there through his six of his seven years um, and um, was there to see some some big successes in fundraising and organizational change and construction and all sorts of great things happening and um, then uh, made the move to Grandview in January of 2020, um, because that is where my now husband is living. And it helped the two of us live in the same city instead of 400 miles apart, and was very fortunate to find a small institution that aligned with sort of my goals of mission-centered and private, and um, a school that also met the, the location we were both looking for. Wow, what a journey. Okay, my goodness. <laughs> you have a definite, uh, vast and varied journey as it led you to Grandview. But you mentioned mentors, and let's go back to that and kind of talk to me a little bit about who your mentor was and how that conversation was started as you 
made that pivot? So my, my primary mentor is a gentleman named Tim Prop, who actually just retired from CIEE, um, a not-for-profit that has run international and exchange programs for, for many, many years. Um, he was an early manager of mine in banking, um, a great mentor when I took on my first people management role, um, a, a mentor for me both in my financial acumen, but also really in my leadership and people management and crisis management skills. Um, one of the calmest people I have ever met in the face of all kinds of chaos. And um, that's not my typical style. It's one that's learned. And someone who to this day, I will still make sure I share a conversation or a question or a uh, a uh, a win with from time to time. Uh, worked for him for two years in banking. And then he recruited me to Thunderbird, where I was able to work with him for most of the 11 years that I was there. And uh, we, we continue to stay in contact. Um, I heard once in a seminar that really good mentoring relationships stay in place until one of the two parties dies. Um, and um, I have been very grateful to be able to maintain that relationship uh, for well over 20 years now. That's great. That's really good. That's good. Um, the longevity of that as well. Um, are you a mentor to someone at this time? I always try to mentor folks, whether they are on my team or people that I have encountered. Um, I have um, a few colleagues and friends who I will say have probably counted me as one of their mentors. Um, a young colleague in my Russian organization that I worked with um, is someone to this day who will still reach out. Um, we have visited back and forth before the, the current uh, issues in, in Russia took place um, and um, still reach out for sort of professional coaching and personal development discussions, as well as others that I've worked with throughout my career. And sometimes it's just the, the manager and employee role. Um, and I'm always very flattered and happy when it goes beyond that and, and spans time. And I've been very pleased to to maintain relationships of both friendship and sort of professional guidance. And many times people who've asked me to mentor them are people I call on for advice as well. So it's really nice to to see that role reverse sometimes. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Now, is Grandview a faith-based university? Grandview is a faith-based university. We are associated with the, the ELCA Lutheran Church. Okay. So is there... Is there a difference for a CBL that is at a faith-based university? Is there a difference or maybe there's not? What do, you, what do you think about that? I would say there's a little bit of difference. This is actually the first faith-based college where I have been. I've always been in private not-for-profit institutions. This is the first that is uh, closely faith-based. Um, we have uh, a campus church that I'm looking in the window of right across the street, um, a campus chaplain. Um, and uh, you will see a much stronger affinity to the congregation. We have a bishop on our board. Um, you will see um, stronger association of prayer and religious study. Um, and the ELCA, um, which I am now a member of, I grew up in the Methodist faith, um, are both strong proponents of education, but not exclusively for Lutherans. They are very welcoming as a congregation to people of all faiths or no faith. 
Um, and so there is a respect on our campus that there are people who may not be of faith at all. Um, but one of the, the doctrines here is that we, we help people to find their vocation. And that's not necessarily to find your career, but to find sort of your purpose in the world. And that may be spiritually, it may be in your work, in your volunteerism, in how you design your family and your life. Um, and I was actually able to go to an ELCA vocation conference this spring and found it very enlightening to see sort of the, the doctrines of the Lutheran Church applied to education in a way that's really meant to be accessible to anyone, regardless of their faith background, um, and done so in a way that is meant to be set up for the success of our students um, and meant to be a core driver of the institution's philosophy. Well, you you joined there at, um, in January of 2020, which who knew what was right around the corner, right? Um, this huge pandemic and shutdowns. Um, and so now, and you've been there through all of that, and now we know that higher education is making some major shifts post-pandemic. Um, we know that many CBOs are reshaping their business models and culture to anticipate and serve the current um, and emergent needs of the learners, the communities, and employers. Um, what are you focused on as we make these shifts? For me, a lot of our focus is on maintaining and sustaining mission. And for me, that's really about financial equilibrium. Most of our institutions took some kind of financial shock, be it enrollment, be it cash flow. Many of us were greatly helped by the HERE funding that came through the CARES Act. And our institution um, was is very grateful for all of that that came through. But we all suffered with changes in enrollment patterns, and it certainly didn't help sort of the looming demographic cliff. And so everything was disrupted from our, our donor patterns um, and how we work with our alumni and our constituents that help support the school in non-tuition matters, but most especially in the way that our students find us and the way we engage with them before their students, and especially in the way our students engaged while they're on campus, both in the classroom or in distance learning and their their student life, their co-curricular experience was obviously very drastically affected as well, um, be it dorm life. And about 60% of our students are athletes. Um, and so we worked very hard to maintain as much normal as we could with as much safety as possible. And so for me now in the recovery mode, we still have the looming specter of what may still come. And so keeping us with a protective layer of campus health and testing and safety. And now we sort of have the specter of monkeypox out there that we need to be aware of and learning about and making sure our students are aware of as we learn what's coming next. But really looking out for the sustainability of our institutions and the furtherance of our mission. To me, that's what we as CBOs really need to be looking out for. And that's ensuring that do we have the sustainability of resources to meet the needs that we need to provide for our students? And that's a very careful balance for any of us on even the best day. Um, and we've certainly stretched that rubber band out. And so for me, our work on not just the current year, but on future years, and because of that disruption, our ability to predict has been shaken. And so where before we would be able to say within 
20% guidance, what we knew about the future, that's a lot wider gap now. And so we have to have probably a lot more in the way of backup plans and what if scenarios. That means more data, more analysis, um, and a lot more thought and a lot more conversation with people on campus, with our boards, and a lot more research of what's going on in the environment around us. So as you start this new school year, I guess we can say, what excites you most of all the things that you are, you've already stated? What are you most excited about? I am always excited when I see students returning to our campus. Most of our education during the summer is virtual. And so we have a very small on-campus population of students. And so seeing a campus come back to life is always very invigorating. Um, Grandview is looking forward to welcoming a class that is uh, much more normal in terms of its size and sort of our first post-COVID class. We also have a brand new president. Um, we have a brand new president after our last president retired after 22 years. So we have some big change afoot on our campus after a very long and uh, successful leadership. And so um, fall brings a lot of, of fresh things, and there's even more fresh things on our campus. And for many people, change is a very uncomfortable thing. Our campus has learned to embrace a lot through COVID, um, and I think that has prepared us well for leadership change after a very long period of stability. And um, one of my goals has always been to be a bit of a change agent, but always a bit of a change facilitator. And times like these are when we can innovate, when we can think about our old habits and how we can make our old habits better. Um, and we always need to be looking at how we better ourselves to the benefit of our students. And it's a great way to look at that. And we've been looking at um, our student success issues. Uh, we've been looking at academic success. We're in the middle of a Title III student success grant right now as well. And so there's so many things right now that are ripe for change as we sort of come out of the COVID environment that um, it's, it's more of a waiting to blossom than waiting for a shoe to drop. And I, I really am excited about that in spite of all the uh, nail-biting issues going on in higher education these days. I like that change innovator. Is that how you said that? I like that. We try to be. Yeah, that's great. Well, what is one of the biggest challenges you've had as a CBO? And, and talk to us how you handled that. For me, in every institution, it's helping people to understand that while we always have an enormously long list of needs, anything from need-based scholarships for students who desperately need access to education and equity of access and equity of experience to the deferred maintenance. And we all have crumbling steam lines or buildings that need issues or technology that rapidly needs new investment. And we all know that we have deferred human capital investment as well. We know that our salaries are often behind the times. We know that we probably never have enough resources in the classroom or outside the classroom to support what we'd love to deliver to our students. We have a list a mile long of that, and we know that our resource list is much thinner, uh, regardless of how successful any fundraiser or tuition dollars may be, and helping an institution to learn how to prioritize without panic. Um, is probably the biggest challenge you always have as a CBO. And to keep that sense of calm, it is not wolves at the door. 
It is simply the matter of we are a not-for-profit institution. There will always be more need than more resource unless you are one of the big three in the country with your billions and billions of dollars. And so for us, it is always a matter of optimizing our choices and also making very careful steps to prioritize and execute the things you can do well now and know that other things you will work on later. Because when you're a small institution, you not only do you only have so many dollars, you also have only so many human beings who can absorb so many things. And the last thing you want to do is take on too much and execute it all badly. That's right. So Christopher, talk to us about your future. What does your future look like in higher ed? And what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to seeing how higher education evolves in the demographic cliff, in the era of high tuition discounting, um, in the era of more seats than there are students. Um, I say that not in that I'm looking forward to seeing schools have to go through the pain of change and decline and knowing that some of our colleagues are seeing doors close at institutions, but I'm looking to see how we will innovate and how we will serve our students. I'm a big believer in face-to-face education. I also believe very strongly that online education and distance learning is a great way of access and a great way of delivering to the people for whom that's important. But for those of us who are on face-to-face campuses that do that as a primary delivery tool, those of us who will be moving forward into the future need to innovate, need to understand how and where we will invest And there's so many things that we are doing now in the post-COVID environment that none of us imagined we'd be doing even 36 months ago, that um, sometimes crisis brings about the best innovations. Um, It would be nice not to have that crisis and that pit of the stomach moment when COVID hits and you have to send all of your students home. But I'm very excited about what our opportunities can be as we rise to meet our challenges. And what I hope COVID has done for a lot of us is taught us the don't panic line from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it is really, we are here as professionals not to panic, but to simply anticipate as much as we can, prepare for the fact that big things will always come at us, have plans in place for the things that we can prepare for. And then as those things come, assess, evaluate, prioritize, and then execute in the best interest of our institutions and our students. And I think many people lose sight of that mission and purpose. And we need to always keep in mind if we're operating in that best interest, that's one of the ways we keep ourselves sustainable. And that's not always the case. The best laid plans sometimes don't work out. But I think that's part of our role and our role for stewardship in our organizations. That was really well said. Thank you for that. Any other final thoughts that you have for us, Christopher? I know you said some really great things just there. (laughs) I I try not to be Pollyanna, but I do find that taking a positive standpoint on where we are, but a realistic standpoint on where we are, helps people to make difficult choices knowing that we make our difficult choices so that we can move forward doing the right things. And so um, that approach has served well through some extraordinarily difficult times in different institutions. Um, and it's also helped serve to give people a sense of learning that we can still make good decisions in spite of a lack of resources. 
Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you so much, Christopher. This was very insightful. Thanks so much. I've enjoyed the conversation. Yes. And we're wishing you a great year. And um, again, thank you. You can find out more about today's episode by visiting podcast at nakubo.org under professional development. Then click online education. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks on Apple Podcasts so that you can get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Christopher Lee from Grandview University, I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. Until next time, I'm Donna Sheely. Be well. Be well.